Well, Happy New Year, everybody. Welcome to the first Sunday of 2020. How does that sound? Some of you remember how everyone was kind of freaking out. Do you remember when the church was flipping the calendar to the year 2000? I remember it because a whole bunch of you wanted me to stockpile water in the basement of the church and all this other stuff because we thought it was, you know, going to end and all. And here we are, 20 years later, it's 2020. Now, who's excited about returning to normal routines and normal rhythms? Like when you think about tomorrow, you go, man, I'm looking forward to routine and rhythm. I love what Justin told his kids backstage right before service. He said, hey, Lucy, you know how excited you were like the first day of Christmas break? That's how excited your mom and I tomorrow with your first day back at school. Like that's it for parents, right? For back to normal routines. But hope you had a great holiday season with your family. The Simpson crew made the trek to Iowa of which we're grateful for dry roads and temperatures that were above freezing. As you know, for if you've been around here, we've always had different adventures on those travels, but not this time. We're grateful for the trip, seeing family and friends, and it's good to be back to start a new year together, and I'm so glad that you're here. Welcome to everyone who's joining us online as well, and we're starting a new series for a new year, and I've entitled the new series Four. F-O-R-4. Here's the question we're going to be looking at over the next four weeks. What do you want your life to count for in 2020? So we can be about a lot of things. What do we want to be for? And I remember when I first graduated from Iowa State, let's just say several years ago, and I moved to Indianapolis, started working at Eli Lilly and Company, and I started working in the marketing systems department there. That was back in the days when you showed up on the job and they gave you a, a folder to order your day timer. I found my Eli Lilly and Company day timer. There's my name badge they gave me on the first day. That's back at Lilly, you Lilly guys. We had to wear name badges back in the 90s. And they gave a day timer. Look, I've got, it. got your name engraved on it and everything. Some of you like under the age of 30 are like, what is a day timer? So this is like how we used to do calendars back when the phones had cords on them and like the cell phones were like suitcases, okay? So you students, you got no idea what I'm talking about. This is how we used to do it. You guys remember like any other daytimer crew in here? Like I was a big daytimer guy for a lot of years until like the number I was calling to order the daytimer replacements, all of a sudden when I called it, like no one picked up on the other end. I guess that meant that daytimer company just ended, right? You're supposed to go all electronic. So back in marketing systems days, that was the back when that was back when my weeks were filled with like database upgrades and software installs and client training. And, and I remember the week, I don't know, I'd been on the job maybe a year or so, and we had, we had worked really hard at this software installation for our sales reps, and, and we had written this user manual. And of course, when systems people write user manuals for the clients, they don't always translate as well as you think, right? And so this, we had to then serve as a systems analyst. You took rotations on the help desk, which meant when the users, the clients, were having issues, they'd call the help desk. I was on the help desk line one day, and this client called, and she was really frustrated, and she said, I'm following the software install, and I'm so frustrated because I can't find the any key. And I, and I said, well, wait. I said, she says, the instruction says, press any key to continue. I said, 
Ma'am, if you'll just press any key on the keyboard, it's going to move to the next screen. She says, that's what I'm saying. I can't find that key. Could you just please explain to me on the keyboard where the any key is? I was sitting there thinking, no amount of training trains you for these conversations. I said, I said ma'am, will you just take your right hand and lift it up and place it on the keyboard? Like, she goes, anywhere? I said, anywhere. Drop it on the keyboard. And she drops it on the keyboard and it goes to the next screen. She goes, oh, like any key. Yes. So you want to know what like systems analysts talk about at the water cooler? We talk about those phone calls. And you know what we call it? We used to say to each other, that's job security. <laughs> job security right there. So I did that for three years, and I was enjoying what I was doing, crazy days like that. I was enjoying my coworkers. I was enjoying the Prozac pay scale. For you Lily folks know exactly what I was talking about. Back in the early 90s, Prozac was going crazy. Pay scale was off the charts. I kept telling my manager, I don't know why you're paying me this much money. I cannot be this productive for the company at this young of an age. But that... Everything about my experience was going great, and I could envision myself being there for a long, long time. Simultaneous with that, I started to get linked up with a small group of people that were starting a church, because I had moved to Indy, and I was looking for a church home. I had come to know Christ in my latter teen years, gone off to Iowa State, and got involved in some campus ministry, and I knew that when I moved to a new city, a big step was going to be finding a church home. And so I found this group of folks who were starting a church called Eagle Church on the northwest side. And I started linking up with them. And I just started to help out and whatever you need to do to help out a church to get started. And I remember just over the months, I just became captivated by the wonder of the church. Like, it's just an amazing thought, the church of Jesus. I remember when I was kind of involved in the early days of the church. And, and I remember watching a person like get a hold of the truth that God loves you and Jesus' grace is sufficient for you. And no matter what darkness you're dealing with, the light of Christ is sufficient for that darkness. I was just overwhelmed with that. And, and I remember like working alongside in people's brokenness and shattered places. And I remember like watching how God could just take our broken places and shattered spaces and he could just like redeem and restore and rebuild. It just took my breath away when the, the church of Jesus is working right. It just, it's just something that's hard to put words to. And, and I remember my first baptism service at Eagle Church. And I remember standing, one of the folks who was getting baptized asked if I would stand beside his tank. Now, back in the early days of Eagle, our baptismal tank was a horse trough. Big old metal horse trough. Legit. We got it from like Big R up in Lebanon. That's exactly how it went back in those days. So we got a big old Big R horse trough from Lebanon. And, and we worked hard. We used to like get in this. We used to come to church at like 6 a.m. Because Pastor Kerry Bowman, the planning pastor of the church, Kerry and I, would, we knew there was only like 60 gallons of hot water in the hot water heater. So we'd like pump all 60 gallons of hot water in. And then we'd have to like let the hot water heater catch up. And then we'd pump like, you know, and then we'd let the, so we'd start like 6 a.m. to try to get, but what we didn't realize is because it was super cold outside, like the, the water temp was just going to reset itself pretty much to room temp in those days. But Jordan River-like is how we used to refer to it back in the early days. But I remember standing beside the, the tank of a young man named Mike, 
And I was watching him crawl into the baptismal waters there, and I remember thinking to myself, the only explanation for Mike and I's friendship is Jesus' church. Like, the only way that we would know each other and have become such good friends is through the church. Like, we got to, we, that's where we met, and it was discipleship classes, and life groups, and Sunday services, and Sunday lunches, and Mike and I had a friendship to the degree where Mike wanted me to stand beside his tank, and I I stood there and I listened to Mike testify about all the ways he was finding Jesus to be the way. And I just thought, there's nothing like this. And then I remember praying with a young couple after a service one day who weren't sure they were newly married and they'd gone through some really tough stretches in their young marriage. And I remember them saying, we're not sure we're going to be able to make it. We're not sure we're going to keep pressing on this marriage. Maybe we just need to cash in the chips and give up. And I remember thinking, if I could just get this older married couple to link up with this younger married couple, and I introduced them together, they didn't really know each other, and then I just kind of watched over the next several months that relationship unfold. And I remember several months later, the young couple coming back and saying, I think we're going to make it. I thought, Jesus, church is amazing. I remember working with a young, uh, a young single mom who just was struggling for the dailiness of life. And I remember seeing the church family come around her and just help and pray and provide and support. And I remember the day when she used the term, I found my new family. And on and on I could go. I, I, I just was swept away. I was captivated with the wonder of Jesus' church. When it's working well, there's just nothing quite like it. And so in 1994... I left my system analyst days at Lilly and I joined vocational pastoral ministry in the church. And I'm certainly not suggesting that I couldn't have stayed at Lilly and served Jesus faithfully and, and worked in uh, Eli Lilly and company. Absolutely could have done that. This isn't about that. There's just our calling is beyond vocation, right? We're first, as followers of Jesus, we're called to Christ. And then Ephesians 2.10 says we're called to a greater purpose with Christ and what he's doing in the world. And that can manifest itself in all kinds of settings, marketplace settings. And for me, the vocational shift was a part of it when the Lord's saying, hey, this is what I want you to do with your one and only life. And so as we step into 2020, what do you want your life to count for? Beyond just vocation, what do you want it to count for? And this is the dialogue that Jesus is having in the text we're going to look at. Matthew 16, if you've got your Bibles, open it up there. This is the dialogue Jesus has with his early followers in the kind of vocabulary of this series, asking them, what do they want to stand for, count for? Matthew 16, verse 13 and following. And if you, have a, if you received a bulletin on the way in, the scripture is on there. You can also pull it up on your app electronically, and you can follow along that way. Look at verse 13. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, so that's about 120 miles north of Jerusalem, kind of on the Syria-Israel border today, near Mount Hermon, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? Very common technique for rabbis was to ask a question when they were teaching. Some of you really frustrated with your teachers, when you would ask them a question, they would simply respond with a question. Do you have any teachers like that? That's how the rabbis would do it. When you would ask them a question, they would respond with a question. And so they were talking a lot about who they say Jesus is, and Jesus said, who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, 
Still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, verse 15, he asked. Who do you say I am? Now, in the pile of really important questions to answer in life, I would argue that one's at the top of the stack. I would argue our response to that question matters more than any other question we're going to answer in life. Who do you say Jesus is? I think that one has more dominoes following after it than any other. That one's going to matter for all of eternity. That one is going to affect way more things than the other big question. That's the biggest. Not who do your parents say Jesus is or who your pastor says Jesus is or who your small group leader or who your friend, family member says Jesus is. Who do you say Jesus is? You. At some point, the dialogue has to get personal is what Jesus was bringing here to his followers. And then Peter, the ever-ready spokesperson of the group, right? Peter, the one who always likes to speak up. He says, verse 16, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. So there's this buzz going around about who Jesus is, and Jesus is trying to help the disciples sort through what's their conclusion. Not just what the crowd's conclusion is, or the Pharisees, or the religious leaders, or Herod, or the Romans. There's all kinds of opinions about Jesus still today. There's plenty of opinions about Jesus, and there was no lack of uh, media attention about Jesus during the Christmas season. And as we head towards Easter, there'll be a whole other round of attention around the person of, who do you say Jesus is? And and when back in the first century, when Jesus was on the scene, and his ministry started to get a little more public... Like he raised a 12-year-old from the dead. That would tend to spark some dialogue. You tracking? Like he raised Jairus' daughter from the dead. And all of a sudden people are like, who is this guy? And then he heals a leper. Who is this guy? And then he helps a blind man begin to see. Who is this guy? And then he's teaching about things like you're going to find your life by losing it. Who is this guy? If you try to save your life, you're actually going to lose it. Who is this guy? Like, so gee, all this stuff as his teaching and his ministry and his healings became more public, there was this buzz on the street. Who do you say Jesus is? Because your answer to that question, a lot of dominoes are going to fall from it. Peter says, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. In the language of our series, I think it's Peter saying, Jesus, we are for you. There's a bunch of people like for John the Baptist and for Elijah and for Jeremiah, but Peter's being real clear, I'm for Jesus. And so as a church family, of all the declarations we want to make at the beginning of a new year, let's be clear around here that as a church community, we want to declare together with clarity that we are for Jesus. Like, we're for him. We believe he's the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. We believe he's the light of the world. We believe he's the hope for all mankind. We believe he's the source of joy and peace. We believe that he is our redeemer, our rescuer. We believe he's the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. We believe he is our all. Christ is everything. Without Christ, we have nothing. With him, we have everything. We believe it here. We are for Jesus. So we'll sing songs about him and read scriptures about him and pray prayers to him and organize classes and life groups around him. I remember a family was visiting a few years back, and after they'd visited a few times, they came up to me and said, wow, Jesus is a big deal around here. Yes! 
Yes. I think that's a really good thing. Like the reputation of Eagle Church in our community, of all the things that it could, I hope and pray that one of the legacies will leave. We are for Jesus. Let's have the dialogue shift from all the things the church is against. Let's have some dialogue about what we're for. Amen? We are for Jesus. And we're going to spend the rest of the month talking about what else are we going to be for? And some of you, as you step into 2020, maybe this is kind of a spiritual renewal or a spiritual returning step for you, and and you're just sorting out where you're at with Jesus. Everybody, that's great. I'm so glad you're here. Everybody has to have a starting point and a starting place. Everybody. Mine was in my latter teen years. Some here in the blue chair started in their 20s, others 30s, 40s, still others in their 60s and 70s. Everybody has a story. Everybody has to have a starting place right, and a starting point, and this is a safe place for you to simply be you and take it at your own pace. You be you and take it at your own pace, but just know when you hang out around us, here's what you're going to hear repeatedly. We are for Jesus. Like, we think the best gift we can give you is Jesus. Like, the best gift for your marriage is him. The best gift for your vocational work is him. The best gift for whatever health challenges you're going is Jesus. The best gift for whatever relational struggles you have is Jesus. The best gift for your meaning and purpose in life is Jesus. He is our everything. That without him we have nothing. We believe that. And so all the questions that we're wrestling with as we step into a new year, at the center of it, we believe with every fiber of our being, Jesus is the answer that we've always been looking for. So hold us to it around here, right? As a community, we're going to keep him at the center of all that we're doing. So we're going to declare together we are for Jesus as a community. And now let's press it a little individually. What about you personally this year? As you step into a new year, will you make 2020 a year where you say, I'm all in for Jesus? I'm in. In a few moments, we'll talk about what the implications of that. But that's, that's the step. Peter's stepping out and saying, hey, a bunch of people are in with John the Baptist and, and Elijah and Jeremiah. Just so you know, he's pushed all his chips to the center of Jesus' table. I'm yours. I'm with you. Now, Peter had no. Now, this is the Peter, by the way, just in a few chapters, who's going to be on the struggle bus, who's going to deny that he even knows him. So lest we think just because you push your chips all in the center of Jesus' table, it's going to be easy street and you're going to get it right all the time. This is that same Peter, right? So sometimes we're going to mess it up. Even if you're all in for Jesus, it doesn't mean you have a month where you don't fall on your face. That's what's going to happen in Peter's life. But it's this, is that Peter's saying, I am for you. You are the Christ. You're the Messiah. You're the anointed one. And I'm all in for you. So what I want you to see in this passage now is I want you to see how as the disciples began to get a clear vision of the person of Jesus, okay, so he's the Christ, the Messiah. That was the Jews' word for the long-awaited anointed one. That's like the word they used to say, oh, this is the one we've been praying for. Now, in their minds, it was bring Jesus in the scene, the Messiah would come, kick the Romans out, and put the Jews back in power. That's what they thought. They didn't have in their head that he was going to go to the cross and be crucified. They didn't have that scene in their head. But that's, they wanted their Messiah to come. And here's a declaration their Messiah was coming. I want you to watch as they got a clear vision of the person of Jesus. He immediately positions the project 
that Jesus is initiating, and he ties them together. To say yes to the person of Jesus is to be drafted into the project that he's working on. And this is the first time this dialogue occurs. Verse 16, Simon Peter answered, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. Verse 17, Jesus replies, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Now, the first thought of the disciples, including Peter at that mind, had to be, what is he talking about? Like, they had no context for, I will build my church. No rabbi ever taught in this language. Abraham never said, I will build my synagogue. Buddha never said, I will build my temple. Muhammad never said, I will build my mosque. This is a concept that Jesus, that originates with Jesus when he says, I will build my church. And then he picks Peter and he says, Peter, and he calls his name the rock, which boy, you look at that and go, you got a rock and this rock's going to tumble and fall a few times, right? So, hey, Peter, on this rock, I'm going to build my church and the gates of Hades or hell are not going to prevail against it. So when, when Jesus uses the term church, here's what I want to help us understand. Like he's not referring to the physical structure that we often think of. When we think I'm going to go to church, we think of coming to a physical building. I want you to think of when Jesus uses the term church, he's thinking of an all-inclusive community of people. In his mind, he's got community and people like the world has never seen before. So when Jesus is bringing up church here in verse 17 and following, he's talking about like the church is going to bring together people of all ethnic groups in all social classes, in all economic, uh, all backgrounds. So like men and women and Jew and Gentile and religious and non-religious. It's all going to come together in this community. The church is going to be the one to care for the needs of those who couldn't care for their own needs. The church is going to be the one to watch out for the widows and the orphans and the oppressed. The church is going to be one to spread the knowledge of God's love all over the globe. The church will be the one to pray for people who are a part of their community. And hear this, the church was going to be the one to pray for those who are trying to break up their community. That's the church. The church existed primarily not just for its members, but the church's mission They'd never seen a community like this. It existed primarily for its non-members. Of course, there was going to be love and prayer and concern for those who were in the family of God, but there was an equal amount of love and care and concern for those who were yet to join the family of God. The world had never heard of this concept. They had never seen a community like this. The church was Jesus' idea from the beginning. And so do you see this project was massive in scale. The disciples' heads had to be spinning with this thought and this concept for them to say yes, to say I'm for Jesus. Do you see how he immediately says, if you're for me, then you're for my church. Like this is his church. They say, if you, if you sign up for him, you sign up for this. They said, well, Jesus, we didn't sign up for that. And Jesus said, no, they're one and the same. When you say yes, who do you say that I am? If you come to the point where you say, yes, you're the Christ, you're the Messiah, the Son of the living God, when you say that, do you know you're immediately drafted in to Jesus' worldwide project? And he doesn't give us a choice. He said, this is just what it means to be a follower. You're put inside a community of other Jesus followers, and it's called the church. And there are expressions all around the world. 
And notice who he says is in charge of building it. What did he say? I will build my church. Isn't that amazing? I will build. Which, when you travel about the globe, for those of you who get around the world, and you kind of see the various diverse expressions of Jesus' church, that's really the only explanation for the church, is that Jesus is in charge of building it. Because as humans, we're way too dysfunctional and messed up. Like, there are some settings where you go and you've been a part of them. Like, you've been a part of some gatherings of the body of Christ. You go, I can't imagine how anything good is coming out of this eclectic mix of whatever. Like, how is God moving any purposes forward? And you're like, Jesus, that's how. It's like he uses broken people like you and me. Dysfunctional, messed up, always working through something, never arrived, failing, succeeding, everything. All of us, ordinary people. He says, yeah, I'm going to work with guys like Peter and Andrew and James and John. I'm going to work with these guys. I'm going to work with you, and and we're going to build my church. Jesus says, I will build my church. And notice he calls it whose church? So he says, he's going to build whose church? Jesus says, my church. Every expression of the body of Christ who's seeking to be faithful to the New Testament is Jesus' church. Eagle Church is Jesus' church. It's been that way from the very beginning when Carrie and Melissa Bowman gathered a crew together in January of 1992. And they got us together, and, and people like Mike Vanderipe and myself and the Swathwoods and the Mays and the others, we were in this little banquet room at West Signature and on 38th Street, and we were together, and Carrie and Melissa would talk about this is a group that was bought with Jesus' blood. It was birthed out of Jesus' wisdom. And for the last 27, now going on 28 years, it's been carried along by Jesus' presence and power with us through the Holy Spirit. That's Eagle Church. It's Jesus' church. It's not John's church. It's not Peter's church. It's not Carrie's church. It's not Eric's church. It's Jesus' church. This is his bride. So he says, I will. Jesus is in charge of building his church. You say, well, how's that project going? Well, I did a little research this week. The latest count is 37 million churches, Jesus' churches, in 190 nation, 2 billion followers 2,000 years later. And it all started right there in Matthew 16. He says, hey, I'm going to build my church, and I pick you. And all those guys are looking over their shoulder going, hey, fisherman, you need, hey, you need to go next, next. Find someone else. And I pick you, and we're going to launch this project. And now 2,000 years later, 37 million, give or take, 190 nations, 2 billion followers. And how powerful is this church going to be? What did Jesus say? I will build my church. And he said, the gates of hell aren't going to stand against it. Notice he doesn't say the church is going to get so powerful that the gates of hell can't penetrate it. That's not it. Hear this. He says the church is going to get so powerful that the gates of hell can't hold back the light. The light of Christ is going to go into the darkness and expel it. How powerful is that? It can't hold it back. The church is on the offensive. It's going, it's moving, it's working. Nothing and no one can stand in its way. Jesus will fulfill his purpose for his church. And if you say, I am for Jesus, then immediately you are for his church. They're one in the same. And that means our expressions around here, like from the near west side with Ali King and Danny Marquez. The light of Christ is moving out to the suburbs of Sarajevo, Bosnia, 
right, with Petula Myers. To the shores of Sicily, Italy, working with the refugees, Paul and Kate Keller. To here in suburban Indianapolis, Whitestown, Zionsville, Brownsburg, Lebanon, Carmel, Pike Township, all the expressions in between. It's a, this is Jesus saying, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not stop it. Nothing is going to stand in the way no matter how many obstacles you encounter, no matter how many problems, no matter how many dysfunctional pastors come and go, uh, sin of congregation members come and go, all kinds of messes the church gets in and out of. Guess what the common theme is? Jesus is going to build his church. It's amazing. The only explanation is he's in charge of this whole project because left unto us, we know how that would go, right? You go, what's the explanation for this? I hope at the end of the day when people hang out at Eagle Church for any length of time, you go, this has to be a work of Jesus. Yes! Because you get around, you're like, these folks are just really, really ordinary people. Yes! But we've met someone who's drastically changed our lives. There's no one like him. Who do you say that I am? Jesus, we say you're the Christ. You're the Messiah. You're the son of the living God. You're the light of the world. You're my hope. I'm all in with you. And then Jesus says, yes, amen. Good job, Peter. Now, you're about my project. You're going to spread this light to the ends of the earth through my church. So, all of that to ask you this. What do you want to have your life count for in 2020? Will you be all in for Jesus this year? And will you be all in for his church this year? Will you be all in with your time this year? Will you say yes to prioritizing getting to know Jesus more deeply this year? Will you decide right now, like first Sunday of the year, you say, you know what, 2020, this is the year I'm taking some steps forward spiritually. Whatever that looks like for you, I'm taking some steps forward. I'm saying yes and amen to Jesus and get to know him more this year. That might mean for you, like prioritizing gathering with us regularly on Sundays. For some of you, that would be a huge regular step of the year. Just say, you know what, decide right now. None of us are lacking for competing things on the schedule, and increasingly so Sunday mornings, right? Lots of things compete for our Sunday mornings. But mom, dad, prioritizing having the kids and the students gathering with children's and student ministry around these kinds of conversations, I think this is really, really important for your own development, for the development of the kids and the family unit making discipleship classes or life groups and worship gatherings, making it a priority. Are you all in with your time to say yes? And then those times when you're not able to be with us, you say, you know what, I'm going to stay connected. Live stream or staying connected to watch it during the week so I'm still in step with what's going on with the body of Christ, with the local expression of Jesus' church here. And then are you all in with your financial resources and saying yes this year? Say, you know what, in 2020, I'm going to make godly stewardship of the monies God's entrusted to me a priority this year. I'm going to make generosity a part of what I want to be for in 2020 this year. I want to make giving and helping others this way with what he's given me. All in with our financial resources. And then thirdly, are we all in with our talents and skills and abilities are you all in to say, yes, in 2020, I'm all in this way? 
that if you're not regularly serving in some ministry or you look at 2020 and say, why not this year? You say, you know what? I'm going to get that done this year. I'm going to find an area where I can put my hands to the plow and simply serve and help others somewhere. Using your talents, skills, abilities, whether it's behind the scenes. I can tell you there's no ministry area around. Every single ministry area at Eagle can use another pair of hands. Every single one. From tech team, worship team, hospitality team, children, students, you name it. Discipleship, missions. There's places all over Jesus' church where you use another pair of hands. That's how the church works. It's us. It's all of us working together. And say, so, you know what, this year, am I all in with my time? Am I going to prioritize getting to know Jesus more this year? Am I all in with the resources he's given me financially? And am I all in with my gifts and talents in serving others? Are you all in this year? Who do you say that he is? If you agree with Peter, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Then the next domino falls is saying, okay, I am for Jesus, and then I am for his church. And what does that look like? I'm all in. Because this was all Jesus' idea. It's really this, he's the one who came up with this. Jesus kind of was the initiator of this whole concept. Jesus is the one who created it, and then Jesus resourced the church when there was literally nothing there. He resourced it. Jesus sustained it through all kinds of dysfunctional leaders and seasons. Jesus sustained the church, and generations come and generations go, and Jesus carries it along. And Jesus said, no matter what kind of obstacles you come against, no matter what kinds of problems and overwhelming things the church comes against, here's what you can bank on, that I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And that is the mission and the ministry that you have been called to and that I've been called to if you've said yes to Jesus. If you said, yes, he's the Christ, he's the son of the living God, then this is what we've been called to. This is what we've been drafted in on. This is the project we've been invited to be a part of. And generations have come before us and generations are going to come after us. But Eagle Church, this is 2020. This is our day. This is our time. This is our hour to say, yes, I'm all in. Are you all in? Say, this is the year. No more half and half. I'm all in, Jesus, with you. I'm going to say, yes, I am for you. And say, yes, then if I'm for you, I am for your bride. And I'm going to push all my chips into the center of that table. Can we say that together? I am for Jesus, and I am for his bride. And I suspect the answer to the question, who do you say that he is? Let's settle that here in 2020. And we settle it with the response of our lives. In prioritizing time, resources, talents to say, I'm going to serve and be about this. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for a new year. Some in the room are so grateful to see 2019 pass and just looking ahead to 2020 and saying, you know what, Lord, thank you for the flip of a calendar that gives a wind of the spirit of new beginnings. And maybe there's some in the room, this is a first Sunday of the year and it's a big step spiritually to come. And I pray, Lord, that that would spawn just keep coming back. Just take the step. Just keep coming back. Who do you say that he is? Maybe that's the question for you to sort out this year. And then for others in the room, you've sort out that question. You say, yes, I know he's the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. 
And this is the year. Maybe this is the year to say, yes, I'm all in. And that you would speak to our hearts. You'd give us clarity about where we need to take these steps with our time and investment and prioritizing the right yeses and noes this year. So many things that compete, that battle against that. Just help us here at the beginning of this year. Just settle the noise and the dust of all the distractions and just kind of declare it deep down. I'm going to make this a priority. And then thank you for the beauty of the church, this whole concept that you came up with. What an amazing entity you created. It's unbelievable to think that you would have this idea that you're going to put this project together, and here we sit 2,000 years later. Thank you so much for the gift of your church. And I pray you'd help us this year be faithful to the mission and ministry you've called us to. Help us to say, yes, I'm all in with you and with your church. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen.